that's through, you know, four kids and life. A way that's not gonna like, you know, fucking kill me too, right? But then, <laughs> and then you start kind of tricking yourself into like not caring about the belts anymore. God, I'm so banged up and my wife would be like, what'd you do? You know what I mean? And I'd be like, I rolled for an hour and a half straight. You don't have to be in your academy, in your dojo necessarily like to be practicing. You could find moments just throughout your life. Look your kids in the eye be okay with that decision like you need to be okay with that all right welcome everyone to another episode of elvis type podcast it's your host travis today i have a fantastic guest in mike bidwell how you doing today bud yeah i'm doing great how are you fantastic a whole <laughs> awesome. lot better now we we figured this all out that's that's <laughs> technical difficulties is always like yeah, it happens. a tough thing to overcome uh but hey let's let's just jump straight into the conversation sure. i've done a little bit of research on you and uh You've been doing martial arts since you were 12 years old, yeah. started, started jujitsu in the early two thousands, was a brown belt for 13 years. Uh, you've had like an incredible story through jujitsu, but I kind of want to like, know through all of your, your black belts and your martial arts experience, who was like the number one person that has influenced you as a martial artist? Honestly, like my wife, my wife, mm -hmm. more than anyone, she's, <clears throat> we, I met her through martial arts, literally at a, at a martial arts camp at a, uh, a martial arts seminar. And she was doing traditional martial arts at the time. And, uh, I've watched her progress, actually personally promoted her to her blue, purple, brown, and then black belt. And she was, she was even long. Wow. Yeah. So she, but you know, that's through, you know, four kids and life and being a mom and all everything that goes with that. So like, truly, honestly, like she truly inspires me because as much as like, I think, you know, martial arts and, you know, jujitsu is tough for me as, as a male, I've seen over the years, what she's gone through in other schools where we've trained, you know, even though I was promoting her, there were at points where like, you know, she was training under other people as well. So I've seen her go through like, you know, I've had to watch my wife get her ass kicked. I've had to watch her, you know, struggle and climb her, climb her own ladder. So she's been my biggest inspiration, honestly. So what was what was her role in when you were going through that whole stint of I don't care about getting a black belt I don't I don't want to do that or it doesn't really matter I, I just want to keep going like what what was her whole side of that was she like like listen babe just keep going you'll get it or yeah like uh, yeah always yeah always my, always been you know my biggest cheerleader you know which I think is <laughs> you know a, a, the an important part of a healthy relationship is. Two things, you know, supporting each other in a way that's not going to like, you know, fucking kill me too, right? But there, <laughs> there was a point though where I, I sat down with her, you know, you know, 13 years at Brown Belt, you know, and everybody always asked, were you training the whole time? Yep, I was training and teaching like professionally the whole time, like teaching for other people and other schools and stuff like that, that kind of thing. So I was training the whole time. Um, and there was a time where it came to where I sat down with my wife and I said, listen, I don't think I'm going to want to do jujitsu anymore. I think I want to quit now and maybe just like find a different job and maybe not teach anymore. And she's like, you know, what she told me was at the time, you need to look your kids in the eye and be okay with that decision. Like you need to be okay with that. Like your kids do martial arts, your kids love jujitsu. And if dad quits, that's kind of like, you know, the house crumbles for everybody with jujitsu in this family. So are you willing to take that on or do you want to find a way out of this? And then she was my biggest, you know, and I was like, yeah, I think I do want to try to figure this out. I want to get my black belt. And then she helped me at that time. You know, I was experiencing depression. I was experiencing like I was, you know, not really like overweight, but like, you know, like I've always been about like when I competed, I was like 155 competing. And right now I'm probably like 175, 170. Then I was like over 200. So it was like heavy for me, for the skinny guy. It was, you know, I was heavy. And so she helped me fix my diet. She helped me get on the right track. And 
you know, has been the impetus of, you know, all of this, you know, for sure. Yeah. I think something that's very interesting that you talk about is like you were talking about like, oh, I don't I don't care about I didn't care about getting my black belt. I was a brown belt for so long. And um, I know I've had those feelings before. And recently, uh, a couple guys that have been doing jujitsu in less time than me uh, got their purple belts. And uh, I'm a blue belt. Mm -hmm. And uh, I didn't I didn't get my purple belt. And I've been training longer than them. been a blue belt as long as, you know, they've been training jujitsu. Right. And uh, and I think. Uh, maybe this, let me know if this is the case for you. For me, sure. sometimes I say, I say, uh, you know, belts don't matter, but I, I feel like I kind of use it as a crutch for if I don't get promoted, I'm okay with it because I'm like, oh, well, it really doesn't matter. But at yeah. the end of the day, it, it does, right? Sure, like, it I does. do want to be a black belt one day. Well, it does um, matter. And it, and it matters yeah. a lot, really, actually, because here's a couple of things to keep in mind. So, with that, like, so for myself and my story, so I started in 1996. Got my purple belt in 99 or 98 or 99, I can't remember. And then my brown belt in 2001 and then my black belt in 2014. Um, there's some, that's a big gap. And there were people that started jujitsu with me in 2001. I had a school at that point. I was running a jujitsu school, the first jujitsu school in Delaware, actually. And I was running a school. There were people that started with me as a white belt at that point who got their black belt before I got my black belt. I was a brown belt. They were a white belt. And then they went all the way past me. So I remember like over the, over the years, you know, during that 13 year, 10 year at brown belt, I remember I'd see it pop up on social media. Somebody got their black belt. I was like, I remember that dude. He trained with me. I'm like, Oh fuck dude. I'm still a fucking brown belt. Well, you know, yeah. is this ever going to end? And so it was easy at that point in a lot of ways to disassociate myself from the belt. It was easier to say, you know what? And when I would meet people and say, oh, you're a brown belt. When did you get your brown belt? I'd be like, oh, I've been a brown belt for nine years or something. And I'd laugh about it. I'm a brown belt for life, dude. You know? So, and then, and then you start to take that on and you're, and then you live with that. And you're like, that's, that's just what it is now until something, you know, shakes up your whole world. Like, you know, me going to my wife and saying that I want to stop jujitsu and her helping me stay, stay on the path. And then me eventually getting my black belt in 2014. And then now actually I just got my third degree last week. So which means that I've been a black belt for nine years, right? I've learned way more in the last nine years than I ever did in the 13 years at Brown Belt, like for sure. I'd even say in the first three years as a black belt, I learned more as a black belt than I ever learned in 13 years as a Brown Belt. So I think when you distance yourself too far from the belts, you start to distance yourself too far from progression, from evolution, from being a better student, you start to get just caught in this little, that's where you are. That's just what I'm doing now. I don't care. I'll be a purple belt forever. I'll be a blue belt forever. You know, that guy got his purple belt. That's fine. I'm fine being a blue belt. I know I'm a good blue belt. And then you start kind of tricking yourself into like not caring about the belts anymore. So, and it's in, of course, it's not about the freaking belt. It's not about that extra piece of cloth. It's about what those four belts actually represent and what other people that have climbed that ladder before you and got a black belt, what they had to go through to get to that too. So not everybody's going to be a black belt. You know, one of the biggest lies in jujitsu is that jujitsu is for everyone. I'd love to think it's for everyone to try, but I don't think it's everyone that's going to be a black belt. It's just not, it's just not real realistic that that's going to happen unless something changed so much in jujitsu that it got, you know, so watered down that like everybody could be a black belt, you know? Yeah. Kind of like uh, the other martial arts, right, where we talk about like juvenile black belts and right. you know, all that stuff. Um, so when why do you think 
you learned so much within those, like you mentioned, those three years as a black belt. Do you feel like after earning your black belt, uh, you were like, okay, now, now the journey starts over. I'm reignited. I like, I have to prove that I'm a black belt or I have to prove that I deserve this to myself. I think there was some of that for sure. At first think what's weird is when you get your black belt, you think like you're a black belt now, then you realize there's levels to this shit. There's like first degree yeah. black belt. That guy's a six degree black belt. And you're like, holy shit, dude. Like that guy's got a lot of time and as a black belt and you realize like he knows a lot of stuff. So, but I think what really helped me gain a different perspective as a black belt was like wanting to, and feeling the responsibility to pass the art on to other people. So it's easy to like, you know, to develop your own game of jujitsu. That's kind of your own thing and what you're good at. And then you have to realize that there's, you know, especially because I run an academy, how can I pass this art on to like all different kinds of people, people that aren't athletic, people that are, you know, I've got a guy who's 65 years old doing jujitsu. How is he going to be able to do jujitsu? And jujitsu is not, it's not for everyone, but everyone that comes into my school, I will give them a chance to, to, to do jujitsu in, in a way that's going to be sustainable and realistic for them and address like their real needs and be real with them about it. I'm not going to drop them into situations that aren't going to be safe or in, for their well-being. But they're, they're also going to have to go through the same challenges, their own version of that, that everybody else has to go through. There's no way to, 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 to do jujitsu and, and get away with that, right? Jujitsu will not allow that. She will not let you lie to her. She will call you on it every single time. She's like the perfect wife or a perfect spouse or perfect <laughs> partner, right? She won't bullshit you, right? Like if you, if you go party all night and then you go to class the next day, Jiu-Jitsu is going to be real with you about that, right? Uh, so what I, w I wanted to also kind of ask you is, like, what's the um, – what is your ultimate goal with the whole <clears throat> BJJ after 40? Uh, you know, your your Instagram, your Facebook page and everything like that. Is it is, – do you have, like, a specific goal in mind to, like, help people? Yeah, like, so the – Kind of what, what's the, the project that my wife and I have been spending a lot of time on the last year is we're going to be releasing a book very soon here, like in the next month. And that's going to be like basically like, <clears throat> so what I see a lot. So we started this online Facebook group about a year ago, BJJ After 40 Facebook group. It's a private group and it has uh, 40,000 plus members in it now. And it's really interesting because it's a cool site where people can just, you know, like post their own stuff. Like, you know. They ask questions to the community on there. No, you know, I broke my arm or something in training. And, and mostly what you st I started seeing on there was a trend of over 40 and over 50 practitioners getting hurt, like constantly, like people posting like, you know, this happened in class or I tore my ACL or, you know, this and that. So we started seeing all of these constant injuries and, you know, it was sort of the birth of this book. How can we... How can we like teach students how to be better students? How can we let them be their own lifeguard? Maybe they're maybe maybe their school's good school, but maybe there's a lot of 20-year-old killers and stuff like that in there. How are they going to be able to navigate through that? How can they how can they um <clears throat> create the right kind of recovery program for themselves? How can they balance their training? How can they answer all these questions for people? So we've put together a pretty substantial book that'll be out in about a month or so. And it really like, I'm really proud of this book, like in a way that so proud of it that like, honestly, dude, if I dropped dead and this book came out, I would feel like I, I, it's, I gave everything I could to the jujitsu community. Here you go, guys. This is it. Like, I feel like I feel that good about it because we put so much heart and soul into it and it has 
I'm not even going to tell everybody all the cool surprises with the book, but it's a freaking awesome book. And we have some really cool people involved that contributed to it. So that right there is kind of the big thing that we've been working on. But ultimately, it's always about like we've created this community now of over 40, over 50, over 60 practitioners. And it's huge, you know, and I feel a responsibility to make sure that they have the best practices within their own school, within their own training so that they can do this in a safe way for a long, long time. You know, so that's kind of really what we've been focused on. Baby, the season for Fresh Cut is finally here with the today's sponsor of the show, Manscaped. The leader in the below-waist grooming has launched their fifth-generation lawnmower to help you avoid another silent night in the bedroom this year. Take care of your special snowflake with Manscaped and watch the South Pole shine like never before. Get the best stocking stuffer of all time by going to manscaped.com and using code ETP20 for 20% off plus free shipping. Mrs. Claus would thank you. I've been using Manscaped products for, like I keep mentioning, years now, and I can't say enough good things about them. I love, love, love them. They have been a game changer for my grooming and has helped me build confidence on and off the mats, knowing that I don't have a random mat charm or mat snack sneaking around in other people's mouths or eyes or whatever it is and i can't thank manscaped enough for that whether it's the lawnmower 5.0 the weed whacker 2.0 no ear hair trimmer the boxers 2.0 or any other amazing products that manscaped has i promise you any man in your life is going to be happy get 20 percent off and free shipping with code etp20 at manscaped.com that's 20 percent off with free shipping at manscaped.com using code ETP20. Say ho, ho, ho to a well-groomed mistletoe with Manscaped. Thank you, Manscaped, for sponsoring this episode. What are what are some tips? Because I have a large part of my audience is uh, late 30s, early 40s, even some 50 plus, uh, especially because my old code host was, you know, mid 40s. Yeah. And uh, so he was, a lot of people were related to him. What are some tips you can give to, you know, a little bit of the older practitioners in the audience that, Sure. Uh, to help them with the like longevity in jujitsu. Yeah, and how old are you? I'm I'm only 33. I'll be 30. No, but see, this is important to recognize right now because there's BJJ after 40, but then there's BJJ before 40. And so right now, what you're doing right now, if you're doing it the right way, you're laying the groundwork for 35, for 40, for 45, for 50. Because here's the thing, dude. I will be 55 this year. I'll be 55 pretty soon, and I can tell you that like I love jujitsu more now than ever. Dude, I've been doing it for 27 years, and it's way more exciting and more fun today than it's ever been at any point in my jujitsu training. Mostly because I've been doing it so long that it it it, it never. It's like jujitsu doesn't really get easier. Like your perspective about what's easy and what's hard changes. That's really what happens. Like it doesn't really get easier. Like, but your perspective, <laughs> but your perspective changes. You can bear more. You can deal with more. Like you know, bec- you become more stoic about it. So. And that, from that perspective, it doesn't really change. But and when you're 40 plus years old, right, you're 33. So when you're 40 in seven years, you're a blue belt right now. In seven years, you could be a black belt, right? That would be pretty awesome. So if you're a black belt in the next seven years, you're going to want to be able to do all the things that that black belt should be able to do, like all the cool tricks, rolling the way that you want to roll, right? So you're going to want to do all that. But if you're not laying the groundwork now, if you destroy your body on the journey to black belt, then what becomes of you at black belt now? So what what are what are some like tangible tips that, you know, uh, sure. maybe maybe me as a practitioner now, what can I be doing in practice to ensure that I'm setting myself up for success later sure. in my jujitsu journey? 
So there's so there's two sides to it, uh, to it. We have, you know, what we do while we're on the mats and what we do while we're off the mat. So let's talk about on the mats first. So <clears throat> a couple of things while you're training, repeated, repeated locking of your joints, right? We want to avoid that like at all costs. Like we don't want to like, I cringe when I hear two white belts say, oh, I don't feel it. Go harder. Squeeze it. Yeah, there you go. There you go. Perfect, right? Like they're literally like not even rolling. They're just like training a move, but they're looking for pain. They're trying to like get to pain constantly. Oh, there you go. So like every technique, it's going to be pressure, right? And then there's going to be pain, right? So first you're going to feel like the pressure of the technique, like the squeeze. So like on an arm bar, for example, let's say someone's doing an arm bar from the mount. When they fall to their back, you should be tapping when, not when the arm becomes straight or worse bent, right? Like you can't fix a bent arm. It's when you feel the squeeze around the leg. So there's pressure there. You tap at pressure, right? Never at like pain because that repeated locking of your joints, that excessive wear and tear over the years, it may not feel like it right now, but it might, right? Like you might be getting the warning signs right now and you're not just not listening to me. You're like, oh, you know, my elbows are always kind of sore after training. Well, why are they sore after training? Like you shouldn't be like that kind of sore. So making sure you're not repeatedly locking out your joints, not like, um, training in a way that's going to put yourself or your partners at risk all the time. Like, I feel like you can roll technically hard without like killing each other. Right. And then like balancing it out with your off the mat training. So looking at every as every aspect of your life. So what are, what are my supplements? Like I'm one who doesn't like, I don't like to take a lot of pills and it's really hard actually to remember to take them half the time. But when I do take the right supplements, I know that like my body feels good. So laying the groundwork for that, even now, like, I don't think anybody can really train jujitsu without like a joint supplement. Like you've got to have some kind of joint supplement going on. Like it's a sport that we lock out our joints, not just like one joint, but all of our joints all the time. So making sure that your joint supplements are right, make sure. And, and, and that's a really simple one. So like I, I support origin stuff. I'm sponsored by them, but their, their products are great. Like the Jocko fuel stuff is great. So I recommend like their joint supplement, krill oil, and collagen is like the three main for like your joints that I think are really, really important. I call it the trifecta. And I think it's important enough that you should have that in your life. So making sure you have just some baseline good supplements. Like, are you stretching at home, right? Are you stretching on your off time? Stretching is an amazing thing because when you do it, you're immediately rewarded by it. It feels good, right? You get this nice little boost and it feels good. It supplements your training. You can be a, become a safer and better practitioner when you stretch on a regular basis, right? You can, you know, you can do cooler stuff. If your legs go all the way over your head, maybe you you don't want to adopt adapt a uh, an inversion game. I don't think inversion games are really like a great idea for most people. Like people just end up getting hurt doing inversions. But I do think having a range of motion with this really really important. Like. When someone passes your guard, they might throw your legs over your head. You may not purposely want to bring your legs over the head, but if you don't have that kind of range of motion, when they push you beyond that, you either let them pass your guard or you end up getting injured, right? So having a good regimen for flexibility, having a good recovery regimen at home too. Like what do you do for like your days off? Like if you're pushing yourself really hard on the mat, then there's got to be some recovery the next day. Are you getting a massage? Are you doing like a hot Epsom soak bath? Are you trying something like acupuncture for the first time? Are you doing things that are going to support your body so that all that wear and tear doesn't start to add up, but it starts to equalize itself? Do you feel competing at an older age is 
not conducive with longevity within the the martial art? Here's the, I think the challenge with it nowadays more than ever, and we've been having this discussion, my wife and I, you know, we're both black belts and we have all these little black belt conversations together. Um, it's fun. It's fun, by the way, having a partner who's a black belt and you can just like sit and talk about jujitsu shit together. Right. Yeah. And I was, we, we were just saying, I said, you know, I, I competed in my early forties until my mid forties, but I'm 50, almost 55 now. And I'm not really interested in competing as much anymore. I think the biggest challenge nowadays competing after 40 is that most practitioners are probably on TRT. And I think that makes the playing field really challenging for like someone who's not using TRT. And I, and I, you know, some people, probably need it and some people probably don't need it i'm not here to like regulate that or not regulate that that's not my business but i do think that if you're gonna compete after 40 and 50 it's something you need to think about like is it gonna be an even playing field for you and is it gonna be like really a good experience for you because of that like that's something you have to consider right yeah and then people were like well if i am gonna compete now mike's telling me to get on trt it's like <laughs> and, that, but, and i'm actually saying the opposite of that i'm yeah. not on trt and I, I, don't, I don't look like i'm on t but i'm not on trt and um i and i i don't i just i had twin babies at 50 so i don't feel like my testosterone is a problem right now like i don't want to make it work i make it you know like don't need more good here i think we're good here we have <laughs> People say, have you ever had your testosterone tested? Yeah, I had two babies at at 50 years old, brother. Like, you know what I mean? <laughs> <That's> <laughs> that was my testosterone test. <laughs> how, how do you feel your jiu-jitsu has changed uh, from your 40s to your 50s? Like, what, what has been, like, the biggest noticeable difference? The biggest difference probably is, like, being more conscious of the games that I'm, I want to play. Like, like for example, like, I don't want to be – I don't want to rely as much on athleticism as I did when I was in my 40s. Like, I've always been a fairly athletic guy, um, and I could usually, you know, play, like, in just about any sport, that kind of thing. So, I really I, – you know, my jiu-jitsu for a long time was very much based on athleticism. Like, I would just try to move really fast and do stuff really, you know, that I could do. And then – as I've gotten older, I've realized it's not sustainable for me. Like I can't do that all the time. And I don't want to, I don't want my jujitsu to be reflective of that. Like I look at it like this, like on one side of the coin, you have athleticism, you have speed and you have strength. So, you know, they're all on one side of that coin, but on the other side of that coin, you have leverage timing and technique, right? So you have one side here, strength, speed, athleticism, and then you have leverage timing and technique, which is really the essence here of jujitsu. But the, you know, the biggest line in jujitsu is that like strength doesn't matter. Like it definitely matters, right? When all other things are equal, strength definitely makes a difference, but you don't want to rely solely on strength any more than I want to rely solely on athleticism, which I did for a very long time. Um, I like to think of those, if this is the main course, like, you know, leverage timing and technique is the main course. That's really what I want to develop. These are the seasonings. Like I'll have a little dash of strength, a little dash of athleticism when I need it, but I don't want to have that be my entire meal because if I make this the meal, then this suffers over here, right? This takes a long time to develop. These are always going to be there. And that's what's tricky about this side is when you're a brand new beginner, you come to the table already with that stuff. You're like, I'm strong. I'm like a strong dude, like, or I'm a big guy or I'm really athletic or I'm a small guy, but I'm super freaking fast. So you tend to rely completely on these, you know, and this over here starts to suffer because of it. So it's really kind of a good balancing act, but it's recognized that these over here have a diminishing return. There's only so much strength they can have. Even the strongest guy is going to get tired eventually. So he can't rely fully on that, 
But if your technique's developed the right way, that's going to be there for you forever. And that's the big difference at 55 now is, or almost 55, is that I want to rely more on this side over here. I don't, I'll go to these when I need to. But like, for example, like if I'm just doing this, let's say I'm rolling with one of my purple belts and he's a young guy and he moves really fast and he's got 20 years younger than me. And I'm like, oh, I want to hang with him. And my ego wants to hang with him and move fast with him the whole time. I'm going to get tired. Even as a black belt, I'm going to get tired from that game. And sometimes it's fun to play that game, but it's way more fun to like shut his shit down, right? Grip constantly, just climb up his hips, climb up his knees, pin his legs to the floor, lay on him, crush him, use a little bit of that strength and leverage, not fully, but just enough to like get past him. I'd way rather do that than try to run with him the whole time. You know, that you bring up an interesting topic there too, because, you know, as newer, I've been asked all the time, like, is this too old to start jujitsu? Is this too old to start jujitsu? Whatever the age is, right? We right. get it a million times. And I always tell them no, but you have to be smart about your training. Yeah. And what you're talking about is I feel like people, when they first get to jujitsu, they love it so much. They're willing to roll with anyone, especially if they're like a little bit older. And I don't, I don't think you start developing that, like, well, I can say no. You know what I mean? Like, I don't, I don't have to roll with this person. And right. so you get a little bit more seasoned in, in jujitsu. Um, how, how can older practitioners or, you know, really anyone, how can they, I guess, deny rolling with someone without like, like, look, bro, I'm like 45. Like I can't roll. You're 22. Like you're just, I see yeah. you d destroying people on the mat all the time. I got a 401k. Like, <laughs> like how, and I how think can... it's okay to be honest like that. And then honestly, like, here's the thing, dude, if you're in an environment where that's not acceptable, like if your instructor's like, no, you got to fucking roll with everybody. I don't feel like that's really a healthy environment. Like if that's not in your, in like your best interest, like most people, like you said, I got a 401k, I got to go to work tomorrow, right? I need yeah. my legs to work. I can't afford to have like my, my tibia broken. I can't afford to have my knee trash. I can't afford to have my back hurt tomorrow. I can't afford to like not be able to pick up my kids. Right. So that, you know, that's kind of how I look at it even for myself. Like, I have four kids. I have two teenagers and instead of three-year-old twins, I got to be able to pick up my kids. Right. And as, and for me, even as a black belt, as the owner of my academy, my wife reminds me, it's like, we need you, professor. Like, please don't get yourself hurt. Like, you know what I mean? Like, be smart about your training. Like, don't, because I tend to go overboard sometimes. I would come home sometimes and I'd be like, oh, God, I'm so banged up. And my wife would be like, what'd you do? You know what I mean? And I'd be like, I rule for an hour and a half straight. Yeah. She's like, okay, that's cool that you do that. But like, are you going to be able to like teach tomorrow? Like, are you going to be able to like do a private tomorrow? Are you going to be able to like exist? And so like, You've got to find like this nice balance in your life where jujitsu fits into your life. And if you are an older practitioner and there's people on the mat that like just don't, maybe that person isn't like a safe partner. It's okay to say, no, thanks. Uh, I'll pass today. And if they just, you know, if they heart, you know, they get on you about that. Maybe you just say like, I just think maybe you go a little too hard or like, you know what I mean? I can't really roll with you, dude. Like, I don't know what I'm going to offer you. What am I going to offer you? And I think it's okay to say that, like, because really, like, at the end of the day, like, you're doing this, you know, you're a hobbyist. We're all hobbyists, right? Unless you're being paid as a professional athlete to do jujitsu, which is a very small few people, right? Even the people that go to tournaments, like, they're paying to sign up for a tournament. Nobody's doing this professionally unless you're teaching professionally or competing professionally. So everybody at the end of the day needs to make sure, like, you're not getting, you know, you're wrecking your body doing this. Because it's interesting because you said, like, when you're a beginner, like you want to go all the time and you're really excited and all that, right? That's really, really important. But there's, you know, 
you we get into we get so into jujitsu that we're willing to accept crazy shit. Like we're willing to accept multiple <laughs> surgeries, right? You're like, I I've had like five surgeries because of jujitsu. If you told yourself that pre jujitsu, you would have been, dude, I'm not doing this. That's insane. I would never do anything that would cause me to have five surgeries, but you get so into it. We become like a BJJ addict. We're so into it that we'll tolerate crazy shit, right? Because we love it so much, but like, you can still do this, like, you know, fully and, and, in a way that's sustainable too, right? With the holidays approaching, our sponsor Waterboy is here to help you prepare for those nasty holiday hangovers. There's nothing worse than feeling like the Grinch while everyone else in the family is rocking around the Christmas tree. And it's not just for you. Waterboy Hangover Recovery Formula makes thoughtful stocking stuffers or a fantastic gift for your loved ones. Show them you care about their well-being this holiday season. This holiday season, our listeners will get 15% off their entire order with our exclusive link, waterboy.com forward slash elbows tight. Waterboy talks about how they are a hangover cure, but I honestly use my Waterboy as like my daily electrolyte drink. I drink it before and during my jiu-jitsu practice to make sure I'm properly hydrated and don't get those crazy calf cramps when I'm trying to lock in a triangle or hit a butterfly sweep. Uh, Waterboy also has the athletic formula, which is I absolutely love, and it doesn't have as much sodium, so if that's something you're, you don't like the saltiness, it's another fantastic option and honestly just as good. So join hundreds of thousands of people already trust Waterboy as their hangover recovery. It's time to stop dealing with that anxiety alone. For a limited time, my listeners will get an exclusive 15% off discount when you use my link, waterboy.com slash elbows tight. That's 15% off at waterboy.com forward slash elbows tight. It's time to ho-ho hydrate this season with Waterboy. Thank you, Waterboy, for sponsoring this episode. Yeah, I think I think a lot of people will... Why, why a lot of people accept those risks is because they do feel uncomfortable saying it to people. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, sure. Uh, even, even now at my age, uh, I mean, I, I'm, your story resonates me to me a lot because I'm at that point kind of now in my journey where I'm kind of, you know, uh, been a blue belt for, I mean, whatever, I'm just a blue belt, but you know, I've been a blue belt for a couple of years and yeah. uh, it's kind of, it, it's been a little demotivating lately because life's been so busy. I have three sure. kids also. I have two, two little ones, one mm. three-year-old and uh, like a 20 month old and then a 15 year old. And uh, sometimes, you know, I, I, I always talk about wearing the a different hat for priorities. Like my father, my father and husband hat is almost always on, right? Sometimes yeah. I could take that off and put my practitioner or the content creator or sure. whoever my hat are. And, uh, you know, sometimes it's really hard to make it to training and to feel motivated at training and, and to be okay with sucking right now. You know what I mean? Cause I know it's just, sure. it's, it's just my, part of my journey. How, how can, how can people like, be okay with, you know, the ebbs and flows of jujitsu, uh, because we do get older. Those seasonings do run out. They're not, they're, they're exhaustible. You know what I mean? Yeah. How, how yeah, can people yeah. be okay with, with these ups and downs that we go through? And I think like what you're saying too, like, I think finding it in other aspects of your life, like it doesn't always have to be that you're in class at class and that's what like jujitsu is, you know, it can be like watching videos and, you know, doing stuff that's related to your jujitsu at home. So you are keeping your head like in the game. So like, for example, uh, I do private lessons with some of my students. So me for me with me with their private lessons, we we video as much of the private lesson as we can so that they have homework and they have things to practice at home. Mm. And I give them things to do at home. Like I want you to go home and watch the video. I want you to like, you know, we talk about like 
learning styles like the VARC method, vi visual, auditory, reading, and kinesthetic. So we established like, what is your, what is your preferred learning style? And if someone tells me, well, I'm kind of like, I like auditory, like I like to hear things, but I also like to, I like writing too. Like, so that's kind of my mindset. So then we give them assignments like, and this is stuff you can do at home. Like if you are having trouble, like keeping yourself motivated, watch some videos. And if you're like an auditory learner, you're, you're maybe just listening to the video while you're writing out the instructions. Maybe that helps you. So you find ways that are going to really like work with your preferred learning methods and find ways to like be inspired about jujitsu while you're at home. And, you know, like you don't, ha it doesn't have to be like this crazy thing too, where you're training four, five, six days a week. I think people that train six days a week, like it's too much. Like you need to find like other interests in your life. Like I almost <laughs> want to tell those people, it's kind of weird. Like, you know what I mean? Like you're doing this too much. Like it's, if you're here as much, this is my school. And you're, if you're here more than I'm here, then I feel like that's too much. I think realistically for people, like I know everybody, including myself, like, and I'm there teaching every day, but me physically rolling, Mike, Mike rolling, I can only roll a couple days a week. You know what I mean? I'm not rolling every day. I'm not trying to roll every single day. I can't do that at 54. It's not realistic at, at this age for me because when I try to roll like that all the time, I feel like I never get a chance to recover. recover and then after about three weeks of that, my body just physically starts to fall apart. So, you know, there's, it doesn't ever have to be that jujitsu is like all the time. Maybe you train two days a week. Maybe when you're feeling a little less motivated, maybe it's just two days a week, but man, be consistent about it consistency is the key that unlocks potential, right? It's the truth. Like if you just follow, like you've heard of that book, Atomic Habits, right? The yeah. whole gist of it is like attacking things to these small increments. If you just looked at jujitsu as two hours a week, right? Two hours a week. If I just be there two hours a week, every single week, and I never miss it over the long haul, that's going to add up. Then maybe it's, maybe or maybe it's three days a week, but it's always three days a week. You never miss your three days a week. That guy who does that, even if he sucks at the beginning, in six months or a year, he's going to be further along than the guy that's just all over the fucking place, right? So consistency, uh, whatever level it's at, is really, really, really important. And then holding your own feet to the fire with that. And then not building everything about around the word that you said, which was motivation, right? There's this great saying that if motivation is the push, inspiration is the pull, right? Jiu-jitsu push and pull, right? It's a little bit of both of that, right? Jiu-jitsu is a little yeah. bit of both of that. Sometimes you do need to be motivated. But if you base all of your important decisions, right, and jujitsu is an important decision, it's your physical health. If you base all of your important decisions on motivation, then you're not going to do shit. You're going to probably have terrible eating habits. Oh, I'm not motivated to eat good today. I'm not motivated to exercise. I'm not motivated to go to work. I'm not motivated to hang out with my kids. Sometimes I guarantee as a dad, there's a lot of times you're not motivated to do stuff right at home. But sometimes, you know what I mean? It's bigger than you. And so like, I think just making your training like realistic, sustainable, maybe it's two to three days a week, but whatever it is, like just hold your own feet to the fire with that, whether you're yeah. motivated or not. I think one thing you you talked about in there is like watching videos and stuff like that. And we live in an age now where it's, I mean, there's millions of jujitsu videos, yeah. right? And then, you know, there's a, it's, it's a hard thing to navigate uh, what's good content, what's bad content. Luckily I was, I'm being, you know, a podcast, been doing this for years consistently. Uh, I've been able to talk to some phenomenal people that put jujitsu content out there. One of them is like my buddy, Jordan Press and drove right. Jordan teaches jujitsu on YouTube. Mm -hmm. And, uh, like he's, 
he's one of those people where I'm like, anything he puts out, I'm going to watch. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. Like, it's it's great. Uh, and then he has, like, this, like, jiu-jitsu theory course and, like, wrestling for BJJ stuff. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, I bought the 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 theory course. And it, to your point, it was, like, one of those things where it's, like, I don't have to be actively watching in order to to get it. You know what I mean? Like, I could have it on in my headphones. And, you know, he's talking about concepts. Don't let people grab your head. Keep long frames in front of people. These are all things that I don't need to actually be doing jujitsu. And I'm still doing jujitsu. You, you know what and, I mean? And, and here's the powerful part about that. Like, your brain doesn't know the difference. Your subconscious mind thinks you're practicing jujitsu, right? So even, like, visualization is super powerful. Um, I'm reading, I was reading this really interesting book right now called The Source. And the woman that wrote it, she's a neuroscientist and she talks about like, you know, the source being like your brain, like that's the source of all of your manifestation of everything that you want to create in your life. It starts in your brain. But they did this study and I actually went and looked it up too, because it's pretty interesting. It was like 2013 and it was a study on like weight training and they did something on like grip strength and they had one group that lifted weights for like an hour, so many days per week for two weeks. And the other group just sat for that same amount of time and visualize lifting weights and they had something like a 13 or some number whatever it was 15 percent like increase in muscle mass over the group who was actually lifting the weights how crazy is that that's so super interesting fucking mind-blowing right like I, I i heard that and i was like wow is that true and i went and looked it up i was like wow that's actually true that's insane to me so it doesn't mean like you should just go sit in the gym and not actually exercise <laughs> or or not go to jujitsu but so there, there's power in, in, in doing that. There's power in just like visualizing your jujitsu, like laying in bed and like playing out some of those riddles and so solving some of those puzzles in your mind. That's what my mind does. Like when I, when I have a good role, that's the part that I love is like I get fixated on it for like the next two days thinking about it. Like that role, I was like, man, like this happened and that happened. And this is where that dude was giving me trouble. And like, how am I going to solve that now? And I'll be picturing myself going through it in my brain. All of that stuff, it's, it's great for your mind and for really good brain health as we get older. But it's also just like a great game to play to develop your jujitsu. Because again, like your, your, your mind doesn't know the difference. Like you're literally practicing. So like you said, to your point like you don't have to be in your academy in your dojo necessarily like to be practicing you could find moments just throughout your life just you know maybe you set a timer on your on your phone that you're going to spend like 20 minutes just watching some videos here and there and then you know maybe there's two days a week that you do that instead of like going deep down rabbit holes and just you know wasting two hours on it but actually just like having some really focused time on it too yeah, if you guys want to check out, by the way, people at home, if you want to check out Jordan's course, I have a link down in the description below mm-hmm. for his wrestling and his jujitsu theory course if you want. So one thing, I, like I mentioned, like Jordan is one of the big people that I watch. How can people nowadays, uh, especially with Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, all this stuff, how can people know if they are watching good content or not? I think whatever resonates with you. You know what I mean? Like find stuff that you like. Like if it's you know, if there's a move and you see it and you're like, well, that's interesting, go play around with it. Like, you know, I put out a lot of stuff and like, I put it out from the, from the mindset of, and I say this a lot in my, my videos, when I end them, I'll say, continue molding the clay. And what I mean by that is take what I just did and like, do your thing with it now, like mold the clay, like go take that move and see what you find in it. Like, don't take it as it is, like, as I gave it to you, like play with it from there and see what you come up with now. And I think that's, the fun of jujitsu. And I think that's the value in, um, you know, so much content online now. And that, and that stuff's kind of always been there. Like when I started jujitsu in 1996, 
I lived in Delaware and there was nobody really on the East Coast that you could train with. So I was going out to California to train all the time and we would rely on videos all the time. Like there was not a lot of stuff, but there was a decent amount of stuff back then. It was like VHS videos. I had a friend and some of the old school guys will remember the underground. It was like a, a f place you could go like an online forum where people would post and that people would post stuff about videos. And there was a whole like underground trading thing on there where people would trade videos. You would, you know, you get a hold of a video and you make a whole bunch of copies and you would hook up with another dude online and you'd send him copies of it. And he'd send you a bunch of stuff. And so we amassed all of these videos and really like, that's how, you know, the early days, that's pretty much kind of how I was learning jujitsu was just what very little content we could find. If there was a guy doing judo in a video like we would watch it if there was an armbar we would study it like you know so i think that video and online stuff is a great resource to learn from like i think it's amazing it puts you in touch with anybody that you want to train with you know i think people can figure out for themselves what they're going to like and what's going to resonate with them that's the fun part there's a whole it's like baskin robbins there's 50 flavors you know try them all right <laughs> Yeah, you, you talk about in in your your journey when you after you went to Mario Yamasaki, the yeah. if he dies he dies. Uh, <laughs> you, after you went to his academy, you went back to your you know traditional martial arts academy, and you're like, hey, we are doing nothing but jujitsu. Like, was that was the underground those kind of like sharing of videos? Was that the main way that you kind of started teaching jujitsu? Yeah, pretty much. Like, cause you know, I would go at first I went down to Mario Yamasaki's school like in DC from Delaware when I could, you know. Um, but that was, you know, that was like once in a while. That wasn't that often. Then eventually, like I ended up training with Alon Goez, who's out in California. It's Carlson Gracie Black Belt, like legendary Pride Fighter. Got to go to Pride Four with him when he fought Sakuraba. They mm. fought to a draw. So, you know, he's a legend. But you know, even training with Alon, like, you know, he lived in California, I lived on the East Coast, you know. And it was so different back then because you would go and like you would just like take class and you would learn like a few things. But like I think the difference then is like everything felt like it was like fucking gold. Like you learned an armbar. You're like, holy shit, man. We just learned an armbar. Like let's go practice this armbar. Like and, 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 and so like everything felt like it was just this giant thing. And nowadays there's so many moves coming at you online. It's so easy to forget about like – an arm bar, right? And then just yeah. the mag the mat the magic and like your fundamentals, you know? But yeah, so we were like early on it was a lot of videos. It was just like getting together with like our my friends and the guys that I train with and just like trying to figure out jujitsu on our own, like trying to figure out how to train, how to roll, you know, what is it, what is an arm bar? Like and a lot of techniques, you know, a lot of a lot of it you can kind of figure out. It will take you longer, right? But you'd figure it out. Like if you had two guys that have never been exposed to combat before, and you said, I want you to come up with a fighting system, they'd come up with something, right? They'd, there would be jujitsu in there. There would be locks. There would be punching. There'd be kicking. It would take them a long time to figure it out, but they would figure it all out eventually, right? Well, the good thing, like the Gracies and everybody else has kind of done that for us now, but in the process of that, there's so much content. It's so easy to forget like some of that basic stuff that's really, really important. That's where a lot of the magic is in jujitsu. Is your fundamentals? You you talk about how um, when you when you have class now afterwards, you have conversational jujitsu students asking questions, trying to problem solve together. Um, how has your coaching changed? Was that always a part of your coaching, or how has your coaching changed over the years? 
it's changed a lot, like in the last few years, like truly, because, you know, it's, it's interesting because I just got my third degree. And before I went to get my third degree, my wife asked me a couple of days before I left, she said, you know, you were a first degree, you've been a second degree. What is going to be different about third degree for you? Like, where does your focus go now in your training? And I said, really, I feel like now it's about like, how can I be the best instructor that I can possibly be? Not from my own ego standpoint, not like wanting to like teach a class and show off and impress everybody in the class, but impress them with them getting really good at jujitsu. Like, that's how I want to impress people. I want them to evolve. I want to be there as the tour guide, right? I'm not the travel agent. The travel agent likes to tell you about all the cool places you get to go to that they've never probably been before. Um, but they're not there at your side. The travel or the tour guide's right there, man. He knows all the cool shit. He knows all the cool things in the town, all the little secrets, all the fun stuff, right? And he's going to help you get around in a much better way. So being the, the tour guide for people means that I've got to be the best possible instructor that I can. And some days I, you know, I go in and I teach, I teach and I'm tired. Well, you know what? The guy coming in from work all day is fucking tired too. You know what I mean? He still wants a really great class. So sometimes it's not about me. And most of the time it's not about me. And so I try to teach when I teach in a way now. Let's say the old school way was, you know, and a lot of schools still do this. Someone shows a move in front of the class. Everybody gathers around. They say one, two, three, clap or one, two, three, four, clap. And everybody fucks that up and can't get that. Never, nobody can get that right. Everyone's, they, everyone it, high right? fives each other after they get a good clap. Right. And this is like, you're like, well, are they yell O's or something weird? I don't know. <laughs> That's a whole culture, right? They're the yeah. O's culture, right? Yeah. <laughs> no one knows what it means. Literally. And so right. like, so my point is, that, okay, so that the old school way was that everybody gathers around, one, two, three, clap, and then they go off by themselves and they practice. And then the instructor tries to basically run to everybody as quick as he can to fix all the shit that they're going to do wrong. And, and as a stru- an instructor, you recognize that everybody does exactly the same stuff wrong every time before they even like go do the move, you know exactly what they're going to do wrong. So that method for me didn't work well because it's like, how am I going to scatter? Because they're literally like drilling right now, wrong shit. Like they're literally doing it wrong. And I'm trying to go back and fix, pick up the pieces for them. So the way that I teach is that I show the move because I think everybody needs to see it from a visual auditory um, reading, writing, kinesthetic perspective, like the way that they like to learn, right? So when you're teaching, you're audibly saying it, you're showing the move, you're trying to get hit all of those areas. And then we want two, three clap. But when everybody spreads out, everybody's facing the exact same direction for the first, you know, five minutes of the move, I literally walk them through every single step of the move. I break every move down into four steps. Why four steps? Because your brain processes four better than it processes anything else. Three is an odd number. Your brain doesn't like three as much as, much as it likes four, and five is too many. Four is really easy. So let's say we're doing the armbar from the mount. I'm going to show the move. I have a dry erase board. I'm going to write out the steps, the four steps for the move. So my reading and writing learners are going to see it, and for them, that's going to resonate. So I'm going to show the move. I'm going to write it on the board. I'm going to break it down into four steps. So if it's the arm bar from the mount, I'm going to make it really simple. Grab the arm, post the opposite leg as your hip comes around, step your leg over the head, fall back, squeeze your knees together, right? Well, obviously an arm bar has more steps than that, but we're going to do it. Like we chunk it, right? So like for a brand new white belt who has no experience with an arm bar, it's massive at first. So you, it's like, how do you eat an elephant? One chunk at a time, right? One bite at a time, right? So we chunk it up into four steps. If they can picture it like that, like it has, they can see the whole move. It has sort of constraints around it. They go, okay, I see kind of what he's doing, right? 
But if I don't walk them through the steps and say, okay, guys, well, I want one person on their back with their head facing this way, their feet facing this way. Everybody's facing the exact same way. There's always two people that are always like turned the wrong damn way. And I always got to go, I need you to turn around the other way. Okay. Exactly. Like everybody else. There you go. Perfect. And then I'll say step number one, secure the arm. Then I look around. Everybody looks good. Awesome. Step number two, post your leg and bring your knee to the head. I look around. Looks good. Step number three, slide your leg over the head. Bring, keep your hips low. Look around. Looks good. Step four, boom, boom, boom. And then we do it two or three times so that they build some momentum with the technique. And then we switch. And then the other person does the same thing. But by doing it with that methodology, I can control all of the everything that's going on in the room at the exact same time. But I do need them to now go and actually practice the move with their partner by themselves where they can create a feedback loop, right? And the feedback loop part of it's really, really important because it's easy to do a technique and have it done on you and you're just mentally checking out when they're doing the move. You're not even thinking about it. You're just, they're just doing the move. A good feedback loop, the person who's having it done to them is like literally tell them, yeah, that feels good. I feel the squeeze on my arm. I'm not, you're not letting them crank it again, right? We're just feeling the pressure, but like you're giving them a conversation about the technique. And also from that defensive perspective, the person who's having the move done to them, it's important for them to start recognizing that technique from a defensive set of eyes. I see, oh, I see what step number one is going to look like when I'm on my back now. I know now when they're going to the arm bar. So you know what I mean? So they're seeing it from that side too. So I try to teach in a way like that so that we're like really like hammering the technique in the right way. And I also allow people to video me teaching the technique. I, I even tell people, go grab your phones. Let's video the move. Now they have an archival reference in their phone that they can go home later. Right? We talked about watching the videos. They can schedule their time later in the week and say, okay, I'm going to take 20 minutes on that technique that professor was showing. Now for me, that makes teaching a lot easier now because like my students are like actually taking time to do something with the move. So how does that work with more advanced practitioners? Are they still as receptive to it as newer practitioners? Or are they kind of like, all right, professor, like, let's, let's go. Like, let me get to practice. No, it. because I think that they see the value in that too. And I always, and here's what's important. I always give them time to go practice with their partner because there's two aspects. There's a whole feedback loop, but then there's just a socialization part of it too. Mm -hmm. Like your students thrive on that. Well, people will tell you what they love most about jujitsu is the people. Like they love going to the academy and seeing their homies and hanging out with them. So it's important I, for me, at least in my environment, to allow the students to have time with the technique where they're just like talking and shooting the shit while they're doing the move and just, you know, enjoying that aspect of jujitsu too. And I think that like with the upper belts, that's even more important because those are people they've been training with for a long time. So I think everybody in my class, everybody knows we're going to gather up and we're going to do the move as a group because we know that we'll get to the technique a lot quicker that way. And I can add on to more, more moves if we can do it in that way. If we're just like me running around trying to catch everybody up and trying to control, you know, like everybody's doing it all crazy and messed up, we're going to waste a ton of time in the class. So from a pragmatic standpoint, like we're going to get way more done this way and everybody sees that. Yeah, the way you talk about coaching technique is uh, coming from a CrossFit weightlifting background, coaching background. That's how I would teach like my CrossFit and weightlifting classes. I would have everyone lining up facing towards me. They would grab an empty barbell and I would take them through position one, two, and three or different, si si uh, sure, different yeah. positions of each lift. And then I, once again, I'd be like, okay, so now you guys feel what your hamstrings are supposed to feel like when you're going to the third pull. Now let's go ahead and practice. And then I would go around and I would try to I wouldn't be able to touch everyone because obviously time is very limited. Sure. Uh, but I would I would like focus on like 
who has the worst? <laughs> like, let me yeah. go help them the most. And then if I could get to other people, I'll go help everyone else. Is that something you kind of, you like triage? That's, yeah, that's, yeah, that's literally like how I teach. So like when I, I, you know, and that's a good instructor, right? What you're saying is exactly it. And the reason you talk that way, because it, it's the best way to teach. Because you can manage everything. But again, it's a balancing act too, because you want people to train on their own too, because it's important for them mm -hmm. to fumble and make some mistakes and mess up the move a little bit. Um, but yeah, like I always look around and say, well, who's going to need the most work in this classroom and who's going to be like, okay with the technique. There's something really interesting. We talk about this in this book that we're putting out. It's called cognitive load theory. Cognitive load theory is super fascinating. I love stuff like this. Cause so basically what cognitive load says is that our brain can only handle about four to seven bits of information at a time. Think like a phone number, seven digits, right? Four things, four steps. We talked about four steps of a move, right? Anything beyond that, it becomes way too much. So the old school way of like getting everybody together in a circle and one, two, three, clap and show the move. If you have a brand new white belt there, what they, what they already know about that technique is probably very little. In cognitive load, they call that their intrinsic load. It's what they bring to the table intrinsically. Like, so a brand new white belt, their intrinsic load on an arm bar might be like zero. Like, I know nothing about this. But you might have a blue belt who's like, oh, I get it. So their intrinsic load is pretty good. Like they probably know. So you can look around the room and say, well, what's their intrinsic load going to look like? Well, that guy there, he's, he's brand new. He knows nothing right now. So I know like I really got to get to him, right? Um, but the blue belt might know a little bit more. The second aspect of this is called extraneous load, right? That's what the teacher brings to the table. Let's say he's not a good instructor. And he's one of those guys, he just shows the move and then he goes off on his cell phone and plays on his phone and fucks around on his phone. And then he comes back and then, you know, so his, ex and maybe when he teaches the move, he like over teaches it and he over explains everything. And he's just talking for 15 minutes. And then all of a sudden the arm bar turns into a flying arm bar and he's trying to impress everybody in the room. So now that's called the extraneous load. So for that intrinsic load, those white belts, you're making it even more difficult for them now. Not only does this white belt not know the move, you just made it so complicated now that like he's really not gonna get it now. So that's what you can control. So the third part of that's called the germane load. And the word germane means like genuine. It comes from the word genuine. And if you think of the word germinate, like a plant, like a seed germinating, right? That's now, so intrinsic load is what they bring to the table. Extraneous load is what the teacher brings. The germane load is now, after I leave class, what am I going to do with that information that I just learned? What am I going to do with that seed that I want to germinate? I want it to grow and become something, right? So when you, from a teacher's perspective, if you teach from that, from that perspective there, like it really helps the teaching a lot because you start to realize what does my group know individually, right? What am I bringing to the table? Am I making this more difficult? Am I using too many big words? Am I talking too much? Blah, 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 right? And then Jermaine, Lode, what are they going to do with the seed now? And I often say that at the end of a class, okay, guys, you got a new move today. What are you going to do with that seed now? Well, what do you mean? Well, are you going to go write it down in your jujitsu notebook? Are you going to go home and practice it? Do you have it videoed in your phone? Maybe your instructor doesn't let you video him doing the move, but maybe you could let your homie video you doing the move before you leave while it's still fresh in your head with your four steps, say your four steps, right? And then that way you go home and you actually have something to practice. So that way you can take that seed now, that germane load, and really do something good with that technique. Yeah, the, I, I love the whole like four step thing because I've definitely been to seminars, other academies, uh, even my own academy where it's like uh, just the other night. I love Cody. He's the school owner. He's a brown belt, an amazing coach, 
Yeah. But he was going over some armbar technique. I don't even remember what it was. I was like so lost in the weeds of like just the small details he was talking <laughs> about. I was like, I just need to do this. Like, just stop teaching it. <laughs> Let me just, I, there's right. like, so you're probably so a kinesthetic. Are you a kinesthetic learner? Yeah. Yeah. I have yeah to, so I that's have why to. you're feeling that way. It's like, so like, so that's important to recognize because if you're, if you're teaching in a way and you're not really thinking about VARC, right? Visual, auditory, reading, writing, and kinesthetic, right? Like that's really important. And everybody's going to be like a whole combination of a bunch of those. It's not like you're just kinesthetic. You're probably maybe a little bit of something else too, right? Maybe you're kinesthetic, but you're like auditory. Like you really need to hear it, but you need to go do it. I'm kinesthetic in that way too. So like when I walk around, like as a professor teaching, and someone goes, hey, professor, when you were doing that arm bar and, and they just keep talking, I always tell them, please stop talking. Like, I need you to do the move <laughs> just because I'm I'm visual kinesthetic. <laughs> so I need to see you doing the move. Yeah. But I also need to, like, physically watch you do it. And I need to do it. Like, I can't have you just talking right now. The auditory makes me shut down. Like, it's like, oh, shut up, dude. Like, I cannot even hear this shit. Like, I just want to, like, see you do it right now. And then I can help you. So, like, when you start to recognize that, like, from a teaching perspective, it helps everybody in the room pick up stuff a lot quicker. But maybe your instructor doesn't teach that way, right? And so, like, it's important for, like, an individual student to recognize, like, what is my best best way of learning stuff? So, if you know you're kinesthetic, sometimes when they're teaching like that, you might even just have to mentally tune out a little bit what they're saying and just wait for them to be done and then get to your partner and then figure that shit out with your partner. Because sometimes like that can just be like too much. Yeah. How, how long did it take you to find your coaching voice? Like, um, because I know as a young coach within jujitsu, I kind of just, I try to not all the time, but I do mimic the people above me. Right. Because I'm sure, just yeah, like, yeah. it's just familiar. You know what I yeah. mean? But, and I was the same way when I coached CrossFit and weightlifting until I started finding my own coaching voice. How long did it take you to find the way you felt was the best way to, to coach? Dude, I think mine's probably like a quilt. It probably came uh, from everybody. They like literally like, I, I think I probably done what you were saying. Like you sort of pick up like the way that someone teaches, like that maybe that you admire, like you pick up that, like I've trained with Nick Rigoriatis and Nick's uh, got his black belt in like four years from Roger yeah. Gracie. And Nick's just, Nick's a phenomenal, like very intelligent instructor. And that's what I picked up from Nick was like trying to bring as much intelligence to my game as possible. Like trying to make it smart, but never so smart that like, I don't understand it. The people that I'm talking to don't understand it too. Cause it's easy to like get lost in your own bullshit talking. Sometimes you want to hear yourself talk. You're like, well, look at me. I'm such a great instructor so, right now. I smell so smart. I sound so smart. So, yeah, exactly. Right. <laughs> and then you recognize, then you realize that like you're, you're, you're literally losing everybody in the room. Like they're just like nodding and smiling, but they're like, will he ever shut the fuck up. Right. So I think it's like a personal thing. You know what I mean? Like, I think I've, I've gotten better at it in the last few years. I mean, I've taught my whole life. I think I've accepted that I like to swear and I swear when I teach them a lot, I'm swore. I'll probably, I don't think you swore at all in this conversation. I, I've dropped a dozen. I'm, a, F's I'm, in I'm here. a sailor, but I, for the podcast, I try to, I try to keep it down. Yeah. Sorry about that. I probably should have no, no, asked. No, no, you, I, I, you can cuss all you want. I just, it's I just you know to. what's funny is like I teach kids too. And I don't obviously don't swear when I teach kids. I'm very respectful of that. Um, and I don't, and I never swear in front of my mom. I've never sworn in front of my mom before. So I'm always, oh, you're way better than me, bro. You're I, my kids. Are, I cuss at my kids. I, well, I, did, so, that's what I was going to say, but my kids on the other hand, my kids, I, I've sworn in front of and, and they've definitely like, especially the twins or three, they're little mockingbirds. Oh, I, uh, 
I, one day recently I was getting them ready or something and I was just kind of mumbled under my breath in like a laughing, hilarious way to myself. I was like, come on, you little fuckers. And I heard one of them go, we're not little fuckers. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, oh, dear God, mom's not here right now. Let's not say that word again. OK, <laughs> Man, I, I, my, my three year olds the same way right now. My we have a dog and whenever Blaze is doing something, my, my son, he's three. Also, he goes, he's like, God damn it, dog. And I'm like, who are you learning that from? You're like, yeah. <laughs> right, right. Do you so, feel yeah, like, like do you feel yeah. like jujitsu has helped with like you being a, a, a father also? Like I know for me as, as I feel a mental difference missing jujitsu and going to jujitsu as a father, a husband, friend, sure, everything, yeah. right? Like that physical release, that emotional release that we get in jujitsu. Do you feel like it helps you also? Yeah, I think it's important for everybody to have that too. Like, in a, you know, for beginners starting jujitsu, like it's important to like, if you're, let's say your partner doesn't train, like, I think it's important for you to sit down with them and just like kind of outline what it looks like to do jujitsu. Like I want to, I'm going to be training two days a week and like, these are the days I'm going to do it. And you know, I'm going to, it's going to make me a better dad. It's going to make me a better husband. And then showing them that, like, don't go to jujitsu and then come home and be a dick. Like go home, go to jujitsu and come home and be like a better dad and a better husband. Let like that energy release, like really be like a launch pad for your life, whether, whatever it happens to be right. Like so many times we'll go to jujitsu and we don't feel great. Like maybe there is stress at home or maybe the kids are driving you crazy and it's just a lot. Like it's important for everybody in their life to have that released because when something's not released, it becomes bottled up mm. and all of that pressure eventually has to find a way to release itself. And then it comes out in things that aren't healthy and maybe we're not a good dad, or maybe we feel like we're losing our patience or we're, we're snapping or we're snapping at our spouse. So if you are doing jujitsu, use it as that release, but really show your spouse, like when you get home, like how much this is really helping you in your life and tell them, I'm so thankful for you watching the kids so I could go do that because man, that is awesome. Or maybe your spouse trains. And so it's important for you to give each other that time to train. Like, yeah, baby, like you should go roll tonight. Like go roll, go train, you know, go get some of that out of yourself. Like, cause it really does do that for us. And I think it helps everybody become like a better dad or a better, a better mom or a better husband or wife or whatever it happens to be. And like, it definitely has for me, like shit, we had, you know, we had twins. I wasn't really expecting to have twins at 50 years old. And so Twins is no joke. Like it's like it's not like two. It's like it feels like four at once. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like they're just you imagine. could have well, it's a lot. And but it's but it's it's on the other side of it, it's like the most amazing, beautiful thing in the world. When my wife was pregnant, I was hoping that she wasn't gonna have twins because we had twins in our family. Her dad was a twin. Her dad had two sets of twins out of 12 kids. Like he was one of he was one of uh, 12 kids and two sets of twins in those 12 kids. And so their chances, and my dad had twins in his family. So it was like, we had already had two kids years ago, like, and they were teenagers now. And then for my wife to get pregnant again, and then have twins at 50 and running our own business. And then it all happened during COVID. It was a lot of stress and a lot on the plate at the time. And the first two years were literally the hardest thing I've ever done in my life. I mean, literally no sleep every night. Like it was just brutal on the sleep. It was hard. It was a test of our relationship, but also a testament to our relationship as well. And so jujitsu really was what got me through. Like both of us just having an hour to go teach for a little bit, getting away from, you know, the kids for a little bit, or, you know, having that time and, and, and being supportive of each other through that was really, really powerful. 
but like having jujitsu in our life was like a savior with that for sure. <laughs> Cause we'd actually tell each other, we say, act like a black belt. Like you're a black belt. We're black belts, man. Like we can do shit. We can get through anything. We're black belts. And we would tell, literally tell ourselves that like, let's, let's try to get through this like a black belt. Yeah. Well, Mike, I just want to say thank you so much for your time today. Mm -hmm. uh, sorry we had so many technical difficulties. It's all good. No, no People watching this aren't even going to know. It's yeah, going to right, so right. well edited. Yeah, Dan, <laughs> thank you so much for editing this and making it look great. Right. Thank you, dude. <laughs> you have no idea the yeah, journey yeah. we were on. <laughs> right. Hey, uh, so we, I like to end the show with the same question every single time. If you could give a brand new white belt one piece of advice, what would it be? One piece of advice. Um, hmm stay the course, like stay the course. Like it's, it's not, it's what's, what's hard now will not be hard tomorrow. It, it'll, it'll still be the same thing, but your perspective is going to shift so much that if you're willing to, if you're willing to not give up and if you're willing to stay the course, there's going to be rewards that you just, you can't even imagine, but they're going to, they're going to be, they're going to be earned though. And there's no way to get around it other than to earn it. So stay with it and be, you know, be willing to, yeah to not give up <laughs> perfect hey if people want to follow you and check out your your uh, techniques and everything like that where can people find you at yeah just just look up bjj after 40 on instagram youtube facebook all that we have a private group on facebook that's really worth checking out because there's some great conversations going on in there and great advice in there and that's just on BJ, at bjj after 40 on facebook perfect well mike I want to thank you again so much for coming on the show today. It was yeah, a great man. conversation. I had, a, I had a blast. Good laughs. <laughs> so, hey, thank you guys. So, everyone listening and watching at home, be sure to go follow Mike. Go check out all the links down below. Check out our sponsors and all that fun stuff. And uh, <laughs> greatly appreciate you watching, and I'll catch you later. Thanks a lot, guys. Remember, no oil checks here. Peace. <laughs>